Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Bipolar podcast hosted by Emma Bell and brought to you by Bipolar UK. You can find all of our resources at www.bipolaruk.org. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar and this episode I'm really excited because I've got Dr Thomas Richardson with me and he not only is a professional but has lived experience of living with bipolar himself. So I think this episode will resonate with a lot of people because sometimes it can feel like a bit of a medical lived experience divide Um, and you know I don't know people can sometimes feel a bit anxious about um, professional interactions and are they getting the best help and are people doing the best by them so I think speaking with Thomas today is really cool and brings those two worlds very nicely together so welcome to the podcast how are you I'm good thank you very much for having me Emma appreciate it I'm pleased to have you um would you in your own words introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a bit about you yeah, so uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, so I work with people with a range of mental health problems, but bipolar disorder has always been one of my particular areas of interest. Uh, so I've, I've just, I was working in a NHS mental health team in the UK, a community mental health team for about eight years, and I've just joined the University of Southampton as an associate professor there. So doing teaching and research, um, but leading sort of teaching for people who are training to do kind of therapy for bipolar disorder is one of my roles um and yeah i do quite a lot of research about bipolar disorder quite a lot of research about the link between financial difficulties and mental health problems and i've kind of joined those two things together which might be good to talk about today really about how money problems can relate to mood in bipolar disorder and yeah as you said I, i have lived experience um it's something you know i ended up in a wards when I was 18 just after my A-levels just before I started my psychology degree so it's kind of been there with me throughout my throughout my career really Um, and I've been fortunate to get some really amazing help from you know psychiatrists and you know therapy Mm -hmm. myself uh, Mm -hmm. from other clinical psychologists and uh, yeah that was was just really life-changing so yeah definitely my my own experiences kind of will sometimes inform like my ideas about what I what I want to research and Mm -hmm. uh, what's nice in this new role here is that I am completely open about my own experiences and I use you know my the teaching I do here to for nurses and social workers and psychologists it I will say about um you know the research I will say about sometimes we'll share other case studies and I have you know a an expert by experience doing it with me, but I will also share my own experiences, which mm-hmm. is nice. Mm. Yeah, but it didn't, it, it took me a while to get there. I wasn't completely open until I'd been qualified a few years, I think. I was um, going to ask, yeah. actually, because um, obviously I'm through the podcast and through um, support groups and things, I come into contact with lots of people that have, that live with bipolar. And I think there is... And there is proven evidence to people they have lost their jobs when they have spoken openly about their um, the fact that they live with bipolar. And um, I think that can create sort of fear barriers of perhaps people maybe discounting certain pathways of careers entirely with these ideas of, well, there's no way I could do that because of this. So 
kind of love the space that you're in um and I would love to hear how that unfolded for you because I was curious to know at what point were you open about the fact that you had bipolar and how did that unfold for you yeah I mean I told people yeah it's it's true you know I appreciate unfortunately some people may have difficult experiences and I've certainly had patients have had that um where people don't respond well I mean in the UK you know is protected as kind of a Mm. so you should be able to expect reasonable adjustments and people shouldn't be able to discriminate but you know I do know that and that's one of the themes that has come up in my research sometimes it can be hard to hold down a job and maybe especially kind of the kind of more challenging jobs that might come with a higher salary might be sometimes it can be hard to hold that down if you are becoming kind of unwell so yeah I I um I was told people really on a need to know basis kind of throughout my degree and then um when I was training to be a clinical psychologist like doing my doctorate as well uh but it's it's definitely yeah it's very much it's very much related to my kind of research career you know Um, Mm -hmm. when I was in my final year of my undergraduate I literally became hypermanic about my dissertation about hypermania (laughs) so um I tell people on a need to know basis. I, I wasn't, I told, you know, friends I was close to, I told kind of my employer, you know, I was open about it with the occupational health and everything, but I didn't kind of broadcast it wider. Um, and then I think when I was qualified about three or four years, I just kind of decided I wanted to be more open about it. And I wrote a couple of articles about it. And I just kind of, I told the whole mental health team I was working with, um, it's quite interesting actually I was teaching just like the team I worked with about sort of the psychology of bipolar disorder and I presented like a formulation like a map of like a, a relapse you know an initial manic episode mm. for someone and it was me it was it was me but I didn't say that and I just thought I'm not going in there to I don't want to go in there to say look at me I'm bipolar I just thought I'm just going to put this out there and if people ask I will say um so I'd done this whole talk and then right at the end one of my colleagues a nurse just went so that, that, that young guy who had that manic episode before he started university, how's he doing now? And I was like, well, <laughs> so it, it has felt quite liberating. And I think there's times where sometimes I feel a little bit anxious about it. Um, I mean, I know that, you know, I, I think I, because of the treatments I've had and everything, I, I'm, I'm stable and I appreciate that a lot of people, you know, struggle with it more than, more than I do. And I, you know, I've been, I'm fortunate in that way. I think most of the, yeah, you were saying about people understanding, I think there's only been a few times I've told sort of colleagues, professional colleagues, and it hasn't gone down well. Mm. Um, In what uh, respect? Um, mainly not people I've worked with directly, mm-hmm. but I will be honest, when I when I wrote these articles saying about, yeah, about being more open as a profession, you know, because there's there's often a reason that people come into the mental health profession. It's if it's not for our own experiences, it's because we've been carers of people with mental health problems. And, you know, I know I was initially interested in sort of clinical psychology because of people I knew. And then that got increased by my own experiences. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there is a reason I definitely have worked with lots of colleagues who have their own difficulties and there's a brilliant organization here in the UK called integrate, which is specifically trying to support the mental health of mental health professionals. Mm. And I I did a talk for them actually just about my experiences. So 
mostly everyone's been kind of really supportive. There was a very a small group of people who um, disagree with the diagnosis of bipolar disorder and the label. Um, okay. A small a, a, there was a sort of a group, and they were some some people, very small minority, were quite critical of me for using that term. Um, because they disagree but, that you had it or they disagree with the diagnosis for they disagree with the diagnosis oh well then uh, yeah kind be of, a you know, they kind right? they would say <laughs> that it's not a helpful diagnosis and would be very kind of anti uh, what they'd call a medical model um and that was really hard for me if i'm honest because mm-hmm. uh, it's my diagnosis i find it helpful mm-hmm. um you know i work as a psychologist so i'm all about the psychological side of things obviously and, you know, that survey that we did for Bipolar UK recently, the vast majority, 80-something percent, said that they found it helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was quite difficult to handle with. But on the whole, people are very um, very welcoming. And actually what's nice is when I'm open, other people are open. You know, mm-hmm. when I, I told colleagues, other people have told me, oh, I've also, you know, mm-hmm. I've been on antidepressants, I've had this, I've, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, yeah, it does feel liberating when I was applying for this job here at the University of Southampton. I said in the interview, you know, you know, it was like basically ten minute presentation. Why are you good for this job? And that was one of the things I said. I've got lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm writing a book about bipolar disorder. I'm going to be open about it there. So yeah, it is nice because why should I hide it? Well, um, why is it completely relevant to my job? Um, yeah, but I think what's yeah, I think what and I. I'm very keen to support mental health professionals with their own you know, yeah. mental health because I think it, it, it can really, of course, it's not essential, mm. but it can really add, you know, it gives you a different perspective on it. if you. It can there, really right? humanise the care that you give, I think. Yeah. Um, and the support that you offer because you're not just having your professional capacity, but you have a true inner core of empathy for how that person really is experiencing life and I think you know I think it's quite exciting these times that are happening I got diagnosed you know 10 11 years ago and the difference between then and now is just light and day uh, night and day and I just find it quite exciting that the sort of hierarchy or perceived hierarchy is changing that actually like you say professionals are humans too and we don't have to be faultless and without any diagnosis to be helpful to somebody and I just think it's I think it's quite an exciting shift in 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 time really and how people are perceiving who is able to help others and what what actually doesn't get in the way of helping others and supporting others in a professional capacity. So, yeah, um, absolutely agree with that. And yeah, we're, you know, trying to work here to make sure we have people with lived experience mm-hmm. helping out with our teaching as well. And mm-hmm. this book I'm doing, I'm trying to, you know, we've got some, some of our authors who are kind of co-writing the chapters with their patients, which is great. Um, yes. And I, I, I don't, I don't always tell my patients, um, mm. but I have done and it's never mm. gone down badly. I think it's just about you've got to be, you know, you've got to be careful while you're doing it. You don't want to, because um, sometimes you just want to kind of get it off your chest and it's mm. more for you as a professional right. and a therapist and that's not that's not healthy. But mm. um, if, it, yeah, like you said, if, if it helps, it's kind of adjust the power balance a bit and if it helps mm. 
to engage someone who's maybe really struggling or you know considering dropping out of therapy or mm-hmm. then it can really help I've had people who are just like well you just don't get it do you and you know so I go well look I'm here as a professional and a, a different level you know mm-hmm. it, I I do get it I don't I haven't lived in your life in your shoes I don't get no. everything I know that and I've just saying I've got a different perspective I I do understand this at a personal level mm-hmm. and people find that very validating and you know, sometimes I will just say quite broadly, I won't maybe say my diagnosis, but I will say as someone with high standards and perfectionist tendencies myself, um, <laughs> I can see where you're coming from uh, <laughs> or that kind of thing. And, uh, and it can really help. I think um, people kind of understand. Um, and I've had, a, I have had, a, I did have a couple of instances where people uh, kind of guessed, not because I was unwell or anything, luckily, um, <laughs> but I, I was kind of running a bipolar group and someone said, Tom, you really get our thinking patterns. Yeah. You really get it. And that's You're what not- I mean. That's <laughs> what I mean, though. The way that you speak will resonate on a different level with people because of that. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, there will be it, it's an extra layer that you have um that will resonate with people because unless you have lived through something, I'm not saying you've got to live through something to be a, a professional in the space. You absolutely mm. haven't, but it's just an added layer, right? Um, yeah. It's not a required layer. It's an added layer of relatability. Yeah. And yeah, it creates that it makes it very human. Um, it can also reduce shame for people because they're sitting there going, Oh, Oh, okay Christ not just me yeah okay good absolutely. you know it's like people can breathe a sigh of relief because <laughs> there's a, there is a fear in people you know like oh you know if I get the diagnosis then I'm you know then I'm I've been labeled crazy you know like I'm all of these things that we can actually throw those stigmas on ourselves as well in this process um so anything that sort of takes that shame away which for me if my professional turned around and said I live with bipolar too I'd be like oh, okay cool we can breathe <laughs> yeah yeah, you so know? I'm, yeah there's I'm so much now. you wouldn't have to explain because yeah. there's less um there's less explanation that would be needed as well because you just kind of there's a safety and a trust that oh, i wouldn't have to explain all of the little bits because they're probably going to get at least 70 percent of where i'm coming from yeah. right you know you know you know one person with bipolar disorder you know everyone's everyone's experiences is going to be different but yes. certainly it gives the common ground and um definitely does that's whenever i run bipolar groups that's what you notice is just all of this common ground oh i, you're, I thought i was the only person who got that you <laughs> get it too it. oh that's so nice to hear yeah that's it and um, it's that narrative i think you know oh i thought i was the only one that puts people in the corners that puts people in the shadows that stops them getting the help that they need that stops them asking for help yeah. when you tell yourself that narrative oh nobody nobody else is thinking this way I am the only person that thinks this way you know and then like you say like you've observed in those groups which I see in the support groups as well people just go oh you too yeah oh wow Absolutely. and it's yeah. like that you see everyone's body posture change like their shoulders go back their head goes back it's like oh wow Okay, so I'm not the only person. Okay, whew, like yeah, very, you know. very validating and very, very. Kind of, yeah, destigmatizing and deshaming and all de-shaming, the things yeah, we massive. want. Absolutely, yeah. And I think I, it, you know, it did take me a while to be open. Um, I guess when you're kind of early on in your career, when you're training, it's, you know, for me, it felt a little bit of a vulnerable position to be completely mm-hmm. open about that. I was open where I needed to be with occupational health and my you know supervisors if I was struggling 
mental health wise but um being completely open i think i thought I'd, i need to be a little bit more established mm-hmm. um show i can do the job and then be completely open essentially uh but yeah it did it definitely there were times when i was training i should have got no times where i was you know working where i really shouldn't have no. been but i don't think there was definitely times where i should have got help or i should have had a couple of weeks off work and i just worried that if i told people i'd be judged or i'd be um you know oh they'd say you're not fit to practice and all that stuff, which yeah. was complete catastrophizing on my end mm. um i think the the kind of irony is yeah people with mental health problem sorry mental health professionals you know yeah they really should not be stigmatized and they should really understand it and i think you know in a way if you say bipolar disorder to a psychiatrist or a nurse they they understand it at a level they might then worry more because they would have seen people who are really yes. unwell and had yeah. to go into hospital so if you know what i mean it's yeah it's I a double-edged sword it is a little bit i mm. think I, like i said i haven't i've only had a couple of experiences of it, it falling badly when i'm open but definitely um mm. people yeah mental health professionals know mm-hmm. what can go wrong so i think mm-hmm. you, i think for me it was yeah showing i can do the job and then and by the way <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you say that because i've had that in a couple of jobs i've been in and i've not disclosed straight away because I've had the mindset that I need to get in there. I need to prove my worth, like earn my stripes and then drop the bomb because then yeah. they'll see that I've done it for however many years or months and it's been fine. And I get met with the reaction, well, you'd never have known or, you know, whatever. And then you think, oh, right. Okay. And it's that it's sort of like in your mind that creates some safety because you've like earned your place and, and proved it before you've had to, defend yourself um so that part that you've said there resonates with me because I've definitely done that in a couple of uh, jobs that I've been in for sure um no I I understand that I I think it's just also but you know when you're starting a job I think you can be kind of quite open with you know occupational health line managers you know Mm -hmm. quietly about you know any reasonable adjustments you need um Mm -hmm. but then yeah maybe being completely open about it yeah I understand that model that's kind of what I've gone for is waiting until you feel like you've got your you've you established um but you know it's just great I've you know I my my relapse prevention plan I've I've given that to my my line manager here um Mm -hmm. at the university which is great and then she's very aware of what might set me off she's aware of the warning signs you know she's got Mm -hmm. my wife's contact details so if she's worried about me um Mm. because ironically uh, for me you know a lot of the triggers for my mood can be related to work and my career Mm. and academia and you know if I do well if I don't do well with stuff if I you know Mm -hmm. um that can trigger self-critical thoughts and if I Mm -hmm. do do well it can make me get more ideas and my mind race etc so it's nice to be open because or else it kind of you know how are you gonna nip things in the bud and get help early right yeah I think that's the problem if you aren't open then you're only going to go and get help when you're really desperate and then the, yeah. the ch- opportunity to kind of nip it in the bud is, yeah. is, is gone. Well, it's really. that thing, isn't it? All of the warning signs can be misconstrued for socially acceptable high performance or, you know, yeah, as well, right? So having people around you that are kind of aware 
mm. wouldn't just chalk that up to being super productive they'd chalk that up and say did you need to <laughs> yeah yeah you know do we need to stop and have a break or <laughs> yes um so it's helpful right um i would love to talk to you about one of the areas that you've or said you're most interested in which is money finances impulsive spending avoiding finances and how that links in with bipolar because something we haven't touched on yet in the podcast mm. and i know it affects so many people yeah yeah so. it it does unfortunately yeah so where do we start uh yeah where do we so, start yeah. tell me so start with <laughs> tell me what you've done in in a professional setting around this let's start there yeah so I mean, my kind of my interest in the link between kind of financial difficulties and mental health really started from uh, years ago when the government were talking about increasing tuition fees in the UK. And there was lots of debate about whether it was a good idea or not. But nobody was talking about, well, what about mental health? You know, if you're increasing the number of the amount of debt from 20 to 50 grand, what's that going to do to students well-being? So I kind of that ended up becoming my doctorate thesis. Um, and it kind of went from there. Um, you know, as part of that, I then, I kind of looked at all the evidence out there of like the link between debt and mental health problems. And it showed, you know, there's more than, if you have a mental health problem, more than three times likely to be in debt. Mm. Or looking at it the other way, if you, you're in debt, you're more than three times likely to okay. have a mental health problem. Cause there's the chicken and egg thing a little bit, right? You don't mm. know which came first is it that people with mental health problems are more prone to these financial problems um is it is it that um if you're in debt that's a big impact on mental mm -hmm. health i mm -hmm. say it works a little bit both ways definitely mm -hmm. so one of the things from that we identified there was nothing looking at the impacts of debt in bipolar disorder specifically and just anecdotally from my clinical work and knowing my patients who get you know when they're manic they get big grandiose business ideas and they spend a lot of money that they can't afford and end up in a lot of debt I found that really quite surprising and then just as, with my own lived experience as well I mean mm. when I was 18 I um I had like you know 200 pounds in the bank account but I thought I was I spent loads of money because I thought I was going to set up this international business in two weeks it mm. was going to make me rich and um and help people and all sorts um so I was spending as part of a bigger plan. So, yeah, I'd, I'd started with uh, just kind of a, a relatively small study looking at um, 40, 40 or so patients with bipolar disorder. Um, and we looked at them kind of over three or four months. So we looked at kind of what predicts what over time. And um, what we really want to look at is, yeah, kind of the chicken and egg question, does finances lead to poor mental health or vice versa? And I really wanted to tap into kind of some of the the psychological mechanisms. So we gave people questionnaires about stuff like mindfulness and high standards, but we also did some kind of interviews with people mm -hmm. just about how they saw their money and their mental health linking. Um, yeah, and there, there was some research before, you know, that most people report kind of impulsive spending when they're mm -hmm. manic carers report that money managing money money can be quite a stress on them you know if, if they're caring for someone with bipolar mm -hmm. disorder um but there wasn't a lot digging kind of into detail i wanted to kind of tap into the why because i felt i just sort of had this feeling that 
there's often a reason behind it. Mm. So like what if when we interviewed people, one of the themes was um, there was impulsive shopping, which, you know, isn't really surprising. Like most people mm-hmm. reported they did that. So buying things they don't need when they're high and then mm-hmm. their kind of mood starts to crash. But there were some really interesting themes within that that I completely hadn't thought about, like excessive generosity. Mm. So showering loved ones with gifts. Mm-hmm. Some people saying they gave thousands away to charity when they were unwell, yeah. um, which really caused problems. And often people saying they kind of got into this cycle where we've kind of developed a mod around us now. There's a cycle where people kind of spend money and then worry, oh, people are going to, my family are going to get cross with me because I've got us into debt. So I'll buy, I'll buy some shit presents for them and then they'll kind of be okay. And it kind of becomes a bit of a vicious cycle, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um. So yeah, often it is about trying to help people. I think that was one of the yeah. themes. But comfort spending as well. So okay. it wasn't just about manic symptoms, actually. What, what we found is that if you looked over time, um, it wasn't that feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling stressed, that also made it more mm-hmm. likely you were going to kind of impulsively spend. So there was this theme of comfort spending, like mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to spend money to try and make myself feel better buy myself something nice etc which typically doesn't last too long yeah. unfortunately um and we also found that kind of yeah there was this theme of avoiding finances which isn't surprising because mm-hmm. when you're depressed you tend to avoid a mm. lot of things you might you know turn yeah. off the phone and not yeah. see friends because everything feels too much mm-hmm. so that was definitely something that showed up there as kind of uh, avoiding finances not opening bills some people saying they just let the bills pile up to get high up. and then and then yeah. chuck, literally chuck them away chuck them in the bin yeah because <laughs> it felt too much yeah and also people just saying it's just it's quite hard to you know if you are really down it's quite hard to plan you know yes. um you know when you've got that sort of depressed brain fog trying to do a mm-hmm. budget it's Ugh. we can't it's hard work it's yeah. hard but when you're really really low Getting through a day, feeding yourself, washing yourself and putting yourself back to bed is an achievement. Yes, So absolutely. really, yeah. so, you know, then sitting down, I mean, you just haven't got the capacity. There's no capacity for it. Mm. That's the thing. There's no capacity for, uh, you've barely got the p- capacity to carry out the basics, let alone the fundamentals of running life like money which actually left unchecked create more problems which obviously we all know but when yeah. you've got no capacity you've got no capacity to do it right yeah i mean budgeting's hard at the best of times isn't it um yeah you know i know martin lewis who's set up the money and mental health policy institute here in the uk which is is great it's a a think tank charity specifically to look at the link between money and mental health and they've done quite a lot about impulse spending but he mm. He's always said, you know, why don't we teach this in the natural curriculum? Why don't we teach yeah. about about budgeting, about finances, about what, you know, I don't, still don't really know what the APR means, what that percentage means, right? <laughs> so when you're depressed, it's even harder. Yeah, um, I mean, you don't get taught any of these things at school. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, put that alongside living with a mental health condition that can impair your capacity. I'm thinking for long periods of time when you're living with bipolar, um it's sort of not the perfect storm but the perfect storm for you know very very difficult situations to arise so so people kind of reporting in our study that 
they kind of typically, you know, maybe when they're high, they spend a lot and then they start mm. to crash and they realize what's happened and they feel they regret it. They feel really guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even people felt suicidal just because yeah. they felt it was kind of an un- unmanageable, you know, financial situation. Yeah. And, but there were some other, some interesting kind of psychological factors that predicted the impulse spending. So, one was mindfulness and you know mindfulness is quite a bit of a popular buzzword isn't it mm-hmm. um but there's 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 quite good evidence for bipolar disorder it helps with depression anxiety yeah. and we found in the study that you know the, if people who weren't very mindful so they weren't kind of they may be kind of going around on autopilot yeah. not very aware of what was going on in their emotions in their thoughts that predicted more kind of impulsive spending a few months later yeah. which is um, really kind of interesting and it also gives me you know we can think about what can we do psychologically I'm a psychologist I I can't wipe people's debt or anything financially but actually what we showed here is how you think about it is really key so um, actually what was more important really in this study and that's the case with a lot of the research about money and mental health it's not so much you know what's often more st- important than kind of how much debt you're in or how um how much you're struggling to sort of pay the bills and get by Mm. is how much you're stressing about it how worried you are about Mm -hmm. it and you know I've done other research it's also about the impact it has on your self-esteem your Mm -hmm. confidence Mm. how ashamed you feel how hopeful you be those are all things I think we can work on and this is why Mm. you know hopefully just doing this helps a little bit with that because you know knowing that you're not alone i hope can pour a bit of cold water kind of over that over that shame because you're you you know if you have bipolar disorder and you your finances can be messy and you can overspend you're not alone no you're not alone with it no and i think it's about those moments isn't it finding ways and coping mechanisms to pause give ourselves a bit more grace which will allow us to see things in a clearer light as well but if you've not had any guidance like you're saying you know helping people to be more mindful mindfulness to me is slowing down it's yes being able to see right to actually stop and like take a step back and have a look press the pause button like press pause how do i create a buffer so i can actually see because if we just keep going we can't right you can't see you can't see yourself as you are unless you find ways but it's not something you just do these are there's lots of skills right that you will teach your patients and I've learned myself that enable you to put those like breaks in like a circuit breaker and just you know be able to get yourself a little buffer so you can see and reflect without as much shame and a bit more compassion and a bit more grace and then we can get to take that breath that we're desperate to take which enables us to start tackling our issues right that have come out the back of living with bipolar and it's so hard um and i'm a massive advocate for people you know having these extra tools in their toolkit above medication because like you say these are the things that will reduce that feeling of shame and hopelessness and you know because all the time we're completely bunkered down with all the things that make us bad it's very hard to have hope or to be able to see a way through it's really difficult um 
I know it. I know. I know it is. Um, so the avoidance part. So how how do people how do people take a bit more control over how they manage their finances when living with bipolar? So I think the really key thing is, like I said, knowing that you're not alone mm-hmm. and trying to get ask for some help with your finances early on mm-hmm. because it, it you know the avoiding burying your head in the sand is completely understandable when it feels overwhelming but it's just gonna mm-hmm. it's just gonna escalate it's just gonna dig you deeper into a kind of a financial hole um and so trying to tell someone about it so it's mm-hmm. not you kind of you know kind of shame secret etc mm-hmm. which it shouldn't be there's lots of organizations out there which do really great work you know like step change in the uk and there's citizens advice bureaus you'd have locally in kind of like major cities mm. um there's also the mental health and money advice service mm-hmm. uh, which is specifically set up for for financial advice for people mm. with mental health problems so they can mm-hmm. give kind of really practical advice about your debts and mm-hmm. management plans and where next i think it is about it's about small steps mm-hmm. you know trying to take it step by step um not expecting yourself to sort out the whole situation in a day that's not going to be realistic but you know okay you've got 10 bills right try and open one Mm. try and sort that out good stuff Mm. next day try and do two you know um Mm -hmm. next day might be can i try and take back some of these bills uh Mm. can i take back some of these sorry um these things i bought that i don't really need you know, because mm-hmm. I think that's what sometimes happens. People buy stuff when they're high and then they, mm-hmm. when they're manic and they don't really need it. And then they feel too mm-hmm. embarrassed to take it back. So trying to just take some stuff back. Um, what I'd advise, because we found this kind of comfort spending, trying to just think about other ways that you can get that same kind of comfort and soothing that don't require money. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it might just be exercise or it might be mindfulness or for me it's kind of playing the drums or you know Mm. stuff like that that there is stuff you can do that will give you that same thing which doesn't require um, Mm -hmm. money and saying you know being generous to others I think you know to show people you care or helping others Mm. which I think comes from a really nice place I think that's a key thing to say Uh, doesn't have to involve money okay you you Mm. know you might not be able to give loads of money to charity, but maybe you could go and volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, like a few hours a week or, you know, okay, you can't treat your children with loads of presents, but could you do something like, you know, could you could you take them out for a nice walk somewhere? Could you, you know, you can't afford to go to the cinema, but can you kind of like set up a little cinema at home and watch a film with some popcorn? Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to show your neighbor, you appreciate them. Can you bake them a cake? That's cheaper mm-hmm. than, you know, taking them out for lunch or. Yeah. So trying to think about what can scratch that same itch, but, mm-hmm. but not needing, not needing to spend, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got I a friend I'm- who, cause it, you know, I I've done that. I've done that and probably still do it from time to time. Um, but I've got a friend who I've known since I was at school and she says to me, like when I've offered her things, she says, now, Emmy, are you a bit busy at the minute? Is this because we're a bit busy or is this because, you know, do we need to think about this maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and, it's so, and it's so nice. And, you know, I'm in a place where I don't feel uh, defensive anymore. I definitely went through phases where I really did and I would really like 
you know, butt that away. And now I'm like, I'd see it as a her loving me. Yes. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, she's just. You she know. appreciates the gesture and she's checking in just where's yeah. this coming from? Where's this yeah. coming from? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, Emily, are we a bit busy at the minute? Or... Busy. I like that term. <laughs> That's yeah. what my friends say. Yeah. They're like, how are you? How busy are you? <laughs> oh, I like that because, yeah, your mind does feel busy when you're like that, doesn't oh, it? Oh, my yeah. gosh, it can, yeah. But I think as well, just my research has shown is that it's not just about kind of mania. I think everyone assumes, you know, that it, impulse spending is when you're manic, but actually it can, that kind of comfort spending can often be uh, when you're feeling down as well. And, you know, showed that in particular, I think it can knock your self-esteem if you're, you know, having to rely on benefits or, you know, mm. like we said before, struggling with employment and or having to go without things mm. like buying new clothes that can kind of um, take a knock. One of the things as well, I think that did surprise me is um, I think there's kind of a assumption that this kind of impulse spending when you are manic is quite random. And, you know, I remember someone saying to me before that she was like a magpie when she was manic, shiny things, shiny things. I want to buy shiny things, you know, and I don't think it is. I think so there's a lot of research generally that high standards and, you know, a need to achieve can really drive that mania, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. setting big goals and needing to achieve. So it might be around work. It might be around socializing. It might be around setting up a new business or, you know, big ideas, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, hobbies. And we found that those thoughts about uh, that I need to achieve that are, you know, I have to achieve or people are going to look down on me, I've got to be outstanding, that kind of thing, those big ideas, that again predicted impulsive spending. So, and actually, people who were struggling financially at the start of the study were more likely to impulse spend. So putting it together, I think what happens is people try to dig themselves out of a financial hole by coming up with a big idea. Like I'm going to set up this business. I'm going to work more. I'm going to. Um, so I think often it's a, a plan to make money mm. that can often backfire because people might be impulsive. It might be a, a grandiose idea like mm. my setting up a business in two weeks. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I've had because <laughs> I've done, I've done similar. <laughs> Oh, there was in one of the other podcast episodes, I can't remember which episode it was and who it was with now, but um, I had a whiteboard on my office wall and the amount of business structures, plans that were all over it. I've still got a photo of it in my phone somewhere. I look at it and I think, wow, where was my head? I, it was more than enough work for about 30 people's lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> I was absolutely convinced that on my own, I would achieve it. I thought it was going to happen international business in two weeks. I really did. And <laughs> I, yeah, I've got similar to you. I've got, uh, I've still got at home, these, this notebook I had where I was furiously writing down um, all these ideas just the night before I went to hospital. I was, I was offering strangers on the street a job. You know, I just thought, yeah. So I, I think that's the important thing is it's, I don't think it is always random. I think it is to achieve a goal. You know, I, when I teach about this stuff to therapists, there's a, a video of a kind of a young blogger from the US saying that 
you know, she's saying, oh, it's it's completely random what I buy. But actually, when you listen to what she's saying, it's, there's themes to it. So mm. for her, it's about um, healthy, raw food snacks and cooking, you know, vegan cooking. And there's a theme. It's about self-care. It's about health. Um, for me, I think if I ever want to spend a lot of money on music equipment, because that was linked to my business idea when I was 18, that's a little bit of a red flag uh, for me. So I think that people will often have a goal behind what they're spending money on and to the outsider it might seem completely random what they're buying but i think there is a bigger plan behind it it might be a unrealistic plan it might be you know but um i think i don't think it's random i think there's mm. there's a reason there uh, you know so for example what that's like rooted in the belief of achieving whatever it is yeah I think there's a, a bigger idea a bigger scheme yeah. and it and it might be need you know to dig yourself out of a financial hole I've worked with lots of people who do this they come up with an impulsive business idea they spend money to make money I mean I know when I was 18 I was a bit worried about finances and my, my dad had been made redundant and I was thinking about how I was going to pay for uni uh so I was quite worried about money and I was you know trying to save a bit of money working in a in a restaurant and the example I give of why it's not random so I went and bought so I definitely think that was one thing I was you know one thing that was driving it it was going to help my dad would work for me and I was going to help my own financial situation as well as I was going to help homeless people and you know help lots of other people yeah. um but I I remember I bought like djembe's they're like some drum with the big African drums yeah yeah um I bought five of them at once I literally walked into a shop and just Bearing in mind, I had like literally 200 pounds to my name, um, if that. Um, I just bought them all. Okay, now of course, that, you, of course you needed all the drums. Of course you did. But that's the thing. From the outside, <laughs> it might just be like, oh, completely impulsive, spontaneous. You just saw it and went, oh, these look nice. I'll have them. Yeah. To me, it fitted into a much bigger plan, which was this was going to be related to a band, which was part of, because it was like a recording studio and then okay. some linked to other businesses. So it was all going to be part of that. Okay. Um, Again, in retrospect, not a clearly thought out business strategy, but at the time it was part of a bigger thing. So I think that's what's, and I, I want to do more research on this because there's not yeah. enough, but I, what are the themes of people yeah. um, when they spend? What is the reasons behind it? So I think that's just being aware if you, what might be a red flag that you might be about to spend is if you start to get these big ideas, yeah. if you start to think, or I could spend money to make money, just, you know, be, be careful with that. Um, and I think there's some, just some, there's some practical things, I think, as well, just to reduce impulsive spending. I'm trying to, one of some of the research I'm doing is we're trying to think about tech solutions to this, essentially. Mm. Um, you know, so tech solutions that might help people understand, you know, we've got, you know, we've got stuff about mood monitoring, but what about the finances and especially for bipolar disorder? Because I think the whole world's gone contactless, hasn't it? And it's less friction, you know, yeah. so you can, yeah, I had someone walk into a bipolar group once and went, great news, everyone, Apple Pay's accepted in gambling shops, you know, sarcastically, which is just a nightmare if you, because you don't, you don't even have to just ding, ding, ding. Yeah. You can get prepaid rings that are 50 quid loaded on them and just ding, ding. So you don't even have to have a phone or anything. Um, oh you know, my, you know, my watch to ding. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And that's great for most people. But if you're prone to impulse spending, yes, it's a nightmare. Um, yes. <laughs> It is. I see you. Maybe I'm getting a nerve here. No, I'm just laughing because, you know, I just, I mean, now, nowadays, I I don't encounter these difficulties often. Yeah. But certainly, yeah. you know, it, when I was undiagnosed and, you know, shortly after diagnosis, I, you know, these are struggles that I think most people in this space do encounter. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've spoken to one person that hasn't no. in some way. Yes, there, yeah. there's a spectrum and some are, you know, massive and involve houses and businesses and, you know, all these moving countries, you know, I've heard that too, uh, yeah. on a whim. And 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 others, it's, it's other things, you know, like the mindless blibbing or whatever so i'm just i'm laughing not because i find it funny but because no, no, no. I, I can i can relate to feel it, it yeah. and relate to it and understand it and then um yeah and what what you know i hope this does resonate with your listeners because when i've presented this kind of stuff before in webinars and everything um people go oh that yeah i fit into that so definitely so that that's good that it it's helpful for people mm. um so i'm what yeah i think yeah, and especially I think with the COVID pandemic, I mean, that's had a big financial impact for a lot of people, hasn't yeah. it? So a lot of people have really felt the strain. But in terms of impulsive spending as well, you know, we've moved more towards cashless society. Mm -hmm. Um you can spend more on Apple Pay, you can spend more contactless in the UK. And I, I think it's just being aware that's a that's a that's a problem sometimes yeah. for people with bipolar. So practically speaking i i will often advise maybe just go out with just um cash yeah. once so it's gone it's gone exactly yeah um you can put a credit note on your file i think if you you know because again i've worked with a lot of people who say they they actually want the bank to know yes um, you know, if you let a bank know, they should they should take that into account that that's a vulnerability in terms of debts. But you can actually, I think, put a note on your credit file saying, you know, be careful about lending to me or that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm working on some more solutions about this because this needs we need more more yeah. kind of options here. But I uh, also, you know, um, don't letting websites save your card details. Yeah, um, click click never, not save. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's a good thing I've suggested. It's called um, the Icebox. If you just like Google for Icebox, uh, tell me. And and it it, 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 it I think it only works on browsers, not apps. But um, it turns your shopping basket into an ice block, so you have to wait for an hour before you can actually click purchase, which is an amazing mm, idea, I think. Yeah, Do you know, I was going to say that to you because that's one of my um, coping ways is i will go on to a website and i'll fill up a cart with whatever and then i make it a rule that i have to shut shut the laptop and come back to it the next day yeah and what i've now do actually is i'll push that to two days so i'll do it and then i look at it and inevitably i'll take something out of it the next day and the yeah, next day yeah. i'll do it again maybe that urge has passed a little bit by then yeah yeah, yeah. that's a really good idea yeah but it's and, taken practice, right? And to to be able to slow down enough to do that over the years, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, that's a really good advice because I think 
I mean, I think generally as a rule for these kind of big ideas when you're manic, um, trying to press the pause button like we talked about earlier with yeah. mindfulness. And if it's still a good idea, if it's a good idea, it's still going to be a good idea tomorrow. That's right. The next day, um, you know, personally for me, a big red flag is I can have a big idea, but if I have to act on it right now, yes, maybe I'm not particularly well. Yes. Uh, so I think for finances as well, you know, do you really need to buy this right away? can this wait yes and yeah I'm you know there's there's some positive stuff moving in the right direction I think you know we've got a lot of UK banks now you can do a gambling block Mm. um, which I think is really good and you have to wait for 48 hours before it turns off so you can't just you know switch it off and so I think if we can get somewhere similar like that just for the impulse the big spending that that would be really really great um you know with the business ideas because I used to just act on every business idea straight away. I have notebooks. I have so many notebooks now full of what goes through my head, right? And when it comes into my head, all of it's an amazing idea, right? Here's the truth. It's all all amazing idea. It's all fail safe. It's all an absolute dead cert. (laughs) Um, so, (laughs) So I write them down now. And this is part of how I look after myself is I write them down now and I close the book and I'll, you come back to it the next day and I'll come back to it, you know, and if it's yeah. still like, so you're you not going to forget about it. Yeah. yeah. If it, so I don't have to panic about my amazing idea being forgotten mm. about. I, it's there. And like you say, if it's a good idea now, it'd still be a good idea. Right. Yeah. Cause there's, there's few ideas that have to be acted on straight away, really, you know, yeah. realistically. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, and yeah, trying to, and I'm working on this, but, and maybe the listeners will have their own suggestions, you know, but mm. it, positive friction is the term used for gambling you know mm-hmm. positive friction just to make it harder because i talk about with a lot of my patients generally about this idea of urge surfing where you know the urge to whatever an urge it is but this includes impulsive spending it will go up and then it will come down and it will go up it will yeah. wax and wane and sitting with that urge can help you resist that urge to kind of impulsively spend and anything you can do that the you know puts distance between yeah. the urge to spend and the ability to do it. Um, it's the same concept as you know if if you have problems with drink, don't keep alcohol in the house because if you get the urge to drink, you know if there's a bottle right there, it's easy to grab it. Yes. If you have to get Go on out. your coat, get yeah. your keys, walk down the shop, get out some car, yeah. then by then you might have gone you know oh well what am I doing here yeah. so. Yeah, anything that helps with that. Um, anything to put the brakes on or put a hurdle in the way. Yeah, <laughs> I I have a really basic uh, non-smartphone, mm. uh, which I keep just in case I do become unwell, because then mm. I can't impulsively spend. Mm. And I can't, you know, also it just makes it harder to, you know, yeah, you can't look on social media and that kind of stuff and yeah. you know, tweet stuff that maybe you then think, oh, that wasn't the best idea, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anything that puts friction. I mean, some of my patients advise me actually, um, there's instructions how to do this online. You can literally freeze your credit card. I mean, as in, in a block of ice. And then apparently if you, it will take a couple of days to thaw and then it will work. Apparently there's instructions online. Um, so yeah, so those people do that, if they want to go on a spending, they'll just put it in the freezer and then they'll have to wait a couple of days. By what do you time. mean physically put it in the freezer? Yeah, 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 actually literally <laughs> put it in a block of ice. I was ice. like, hang on, is this no, a no, no, yeah. What is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, so they actually freeze it? Yeah, literally freeze it. There's instructions online on how to do it, honestly. That's yeah. amazing. This is a, this is from my own patients. Who advice. needs tech? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are, you know, there are some, I think, this is the irony. I think for money and mental health in bipolar disorder, I think technology is a potentially really big problem and it has the potential to be a really big solution as well. Um, yeah. And this is something I'm really trying to work on. Mm. Um, yeah, so that I think there's there's one app where you can... Uh, you can there's some apps like where you can it's like budgeting apps where you, they kind of give you a certain amount per week or something just to make sure you don't spend it all at once there's another one i forget the name where um you can so i think you can geographically kind of save money and it uses like geosyncing so you can save money in a particular location physical location mm-hmm. and then you have to go back to that location to access it so again, that's just more friction. So if you, think yeah. you kind of drive 10 miles, save the money, and then it just makes it harder to get access to that if you are impulsive. So there's a lot of potential here, but I, I, do, I do appreciate that, you know, everything going contactless and mm. apps for mending your card details and buying stuff with your thumb. And it, it is hard to stop yeah. the impulsive spending. Yeah. Yeah. This has been really interesting. I'm going to Google how to freeze my things now, I think. just Not that I need to do it right now, but um, I'm just interested. I'm very intrigued. Um, so thank you for all of that. And I think this will resonate with a lot of people, what we've been talking today about, because I, I've, never, I've not met anybody that lives with bipolar that hasn't encountered these um, issues with finances. So... Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you very much for sharing your lived experience with us too. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Could you please tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, so um, if you just if you just Google Thomas Richardson, University of Southampton, um, there is there is a list of my contact details and there's also details about kind of my publications around bipolar disorder, money, mental health and that kind of thing. So yeah, do please get into contact if you have ideas. I'm always, you know, looking for people with lived experience to help me kind of shape my research. And, um, you know, I've kind of had little working groups of a few people, you mm-hmm. know, give me their own ideas. So I'd be really interested in people thinking about kind of, you know, what would help them where mm-hmm. next, you know, that's something I'm planning now is some surveys. So yeah, people do get in touch if anyone ever wants to kind of help me out with this. I'd really appreciate sure. that. Yeah. And um, I'll get your links off you as well. And I'll put them in the show notes so that they they can find you. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar, the podcast brought to you by Bipolar UK. Please go to our website, www.bipolaruk.org, for all of our resources and all of the support that we can offer you.